if you have your Bible, go ahead. Turn to John 3.16, a very familiar scripture. Probably a scripture most of us can quote. And we're going to get there in just a second on how many of us maybe have distorted this scripture in our mind. But this statement came to me when I was writing my notes the other day. A half-truth made to be a whole truth becomes untrue. Anytime we take a truth of scripture or the character nature of God or Jesus and we apply a little bit of a half-truth to it, it messes up and distorts the whole idea and it becomes untrue. In this, the version of God that many of us carry is distorted. Most of us carry an idea of God that is strictly punitive. We carry an idea of God in our heads that is bullying, that is mean, is vengeful. A deity that is more wrathful than merciful. A God who is more punitive than forgiving. And all too many churches still speak of this idea of an angry God. We have churches today that are preaching that the COVID-19 virus is sent, is sent from God to punish us for our sin. There's nothing more stupid than that. Listen, if you're part of a church that believes that crap, first of all, shut your mouth. Help out the rest of Christianity. And if you go to a church like that and you don't honestly agree with that, let me help you out. You're in good standing. You shouldn't agree with it. And stop giving those churches your time and attention. If we would stop listening to those stupid messages, they would die out. We don't serve a God who sends plague and pestilence just because he's ticked off in a moment. We'll get to that in a minute. I know I don't want to get too heavy on that. Had the character nature of God been strictly punitive, meaning that we would have to pay for all of our sins and wrongdoings, then he would have never sent Jesus because the whole concept of Christ, God in physical form coming to die on the cross, was an idea of redemption. If he was strictly punitive in nature, he would have never sent Jesus to die on that cross. And in fact, we would have need to remix the idea of John 3, 16. For God so hated the world that he killed his only begotten son. Yet we know that's not how it's read. We know the scripture is read this way. For God so loved the world that he gave or sent his son. But if you believe an idea of an angry and vengeful God, you'd have to mix up the words in that scripture. You'd have to distort their meaning and their context to say God was so mad. God was so angry. God so hated the world that he forced the murder of his own son. To add love to any of the stories of violence that we see it doesn't answer the question of abuse. So many people live with stories of abuse, even from loved ones, and they're told in their status of abuse that this person loves them. We hear the ideas of an abusive spouse as he's knocking around his wife, I only do this because I love you. We hear the ideas of an abusive father, a mother, speaking negative things over their child and saying, if I didn't love you so much, I wouldn't be so hard on you. That does nothing when we throw the word love around actions of abuse. It does nothing to answer the question, is this or isn't this abuse? And for some of you, it's run you right back to your past. Because those moments you were hurt, those moments you were broken from someone who said they loved you, and it shoves you into those feelings of emotion, and then someone comes across the TV screen or a social media broadcast, and they tell you that God is so angry, so vengeful, and so mad that he loves us so much that he has to torture us. It throws you right back into that same line of thinking. That's not the God that we serve at all. He's not a God that says, I only love you, and that's why I would hurt you. I only love you, and that's why I would cause pain in your life. No, we serve a God whose primary motivation is nothing but love, and in his love, there is kindness, there is tender mercies that are new every morning. 
We serve a God who loves us too much to keep us the way we are, but we serve a God who loves us so much that he accepts us just the way we are. The primary statement of the cross, the primary concept of the cross is the idea of the messianic victory, that Jesus came in flesh and blood to win the victory. Jesus, hanging on the cross, had a sign put over it, King of the Jews. This became a moniker for the early church, a vision that Jesus, in his dying, in his bleeding, in his sacrifice, finally won the victory over Herod over the powers that put him on the cross. We know that in actuality, the cross itself is a, a, a majestic sign of the victory of God. But think for a second what the first century Christians must have seen in that slogan hanging above his head on the cross. Maybe we need to unpack it just a little bit. What does it mean to say Jesus is the king of the Jews? What does it mean to say that there is over his head on the cross the idea of our victory? The gospels are this simple concept of how, of how Israel itself found its full vocation in the role of Jesus, that Israel found itself in the life of Jesus, that he became the perfect Jew. He satisfied all the requirements of the law and then led himself like a lamb to the slaughter, to the cross. And in that, he paved the way for you and I to have a right relationship with God, that we don't have to wonder if God accepts us or loves us, that we don't have to wonder if God is on our side, that we don't have to wonder if this plague comes from a dirty, angry, vengeful God, but we know that it comes from hell itself. Listen, we forget there's two entities at war within the world, that there is a God in heaven and that there is a real devil. Listen, if you believe there's a God, you have to believe there's a real devil. And if you believe there's a real devil, he would kill you with a hangnail if he could. Too many people are just offset and off track because they have a distorted view of who God is. They apply all of the negativity, all of the brokenness of life to the character nature of God and say, he must be teaching me something. God doesn't have to cut your brake lines to teach you anything. God doesn't have to give you COVID to teach you anything. God doesn't have to give you cancer to teach you anything. He can teach you and guide you like a good, a good father guides his children. The story, the story of how creator God came to earth finally to set it right lands itself in the lap of Jesus. But there is a dark side to the gospels. When we see Jesus arrive on the scene, we see this idea that Herod was killing every child under two years old to squash the concept that the Messiah might be born, that the one who would pave the way for the victory of God might be born. There's a concept that there's, there's a sense in the story of Christ that even from his birth, evil was gathering around Jesus. Listen, there's a reason that when we praise and we shout and we sing praises to Jesus and we post it online and we have hope-filled statements of the cross, there's a reason people go, get that away from me. There's enough of that. We need to believe in science. Science is a new way to spread fear. And not that we don't believe in science, but when we chalk it up that somehow science is above God. It's a new way to spread fear like Herod was spreading and killing children under two years old. Maybe the media pushes on you the concept that you can't talk about your religion. Shut up. It's not for public space. Let me help you out. It's the best place is public space to talk about what God has done in your life. Listen, your story of the gospel in your life and how Jesus has changed you, it might be personal, but it's never private. 
It might be personal, and it might affect you personally, but it is never private. It is never to be held private. It is something to be shouted from the mountaintops, and we understand those Bible-believing Christians that around the story of Christ, there is always this narrative of death, something trying to suck the life out of who Jesus was, but we don't give in. We soldier on. We push on. We understand that we have the victory in Jesus There's a verse that comes to me in Luke chapter 22 and verse 20 or 53. Jesus says these words every day I was with you in the temple courts and you didn't lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Listen, there's a moment in time where Jesus, the, the idea of church is out there. The concept of Christianity is out there in the public sphere. And everyone's good with it. We're okay with it as long as it doesn't infiltrate their life, as long as it doesn't push on their issues, as long as Jesus doesn't get to their heart. But the moment something changes in the atmosphere, we fear the, we fear the idea of darkness reigning. Jesus himself said it on his way to the cross. I was with you. I was connected. I was in the city streets. But all of a sudden something changed and now the hour of darkness has come. Listen, we're being pushed as a church. What are we going to believe? Are we going to believe the news or are we going to believe the life in Christ? Are we going to believe these devastating statements and statistics or are we going to believe that Jesus has our way out, our way of, of, of reprieve? Are we going to believe that Jesus is our healer? The point is that on the cross, the whole story of humanity has been dealt with. Everything we're faced with now has already been dealt with at the cross. Everything that we're faced with now has already been dealt with at the cross. The question is, do we recognize it? Do we own it? Do we take it in? Paul says God commanded the sin of the flesh, uh, condemned, I'm sorry, the sin of the flesh on the Messiah in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. That on Jesus was all the penalty and weight of sin for our life that we've ever committed, for any sin that you could ever commit, for past, present, future sins. It was all laid on him. Yet sometimes we're always trying to prove ourselves to God, especially in these moments of desperation. We're trying to say, God, aren't I good enough? God, haven't I done enough good works? Haven't I prayed enough? Haven't I given enough? God, I watched a few online videos of a few pastors. Isn't that enough? Stay the COVID-19 away from my house. And Jesus is saying, son, daughter, I had you the whole time. I didn't need you to watch another service. I didn't need you to give another dollar. I didn't need you to pray another prayer. I had you the whole time. But are we willing and ready to adopt that concept of Christ into our heart? The resurrection itself can only happen if evil and death have been vanquished. And the fact that Jesus raises from the dead at Easter proves the idea that death itself is squashed. The primary proof might be the resurrection. The secondary, we could point to the idea of the Holy Spirit, that there's a new world being established as the Holy Spirit remakes the landscape, changing lives and communities. As you read through the Gospels and all of the idea of the early church, we read the story of men and women whose lives were apprehended, where Jesus Christ paved a way where there was no way. And after that, the Holy Spirit infuses them with power to go out and take over the world. And why is that? Because they recognized a simple idea that hangs on the cross. Jesus Christ is the victory. Now, there's many concepts of sacrifice throughout the Bible. There's concepts woven throughout the Old Testament. Levitical concepts of sacrifice, yes, these Levitical priests talked about sacrifice ad nauseum, but in Psalms chapter 51 and verse 15, 
We read this, O Lord, open my lips that my mouth might declare your praises, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would have given it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. O God, you will not be, or you will not uh, despise those offerings. Listen, we have, to, we have to pull the curtain back a little bit. We have to pull back the idea that when we talk about Jesus being the sacrifice, it wasn't because God wanted a sacrifice. It was obedience on the way to Jesus winning the victory. We have to pull back the curtain a little bit and understand that God doesn't need sacrifice for sacrifice's sake, not in your life, not in the life of Christ. But if we are to adhere to the gospel, if we were to adhere to what God is calling us to, we come to a place where we offer a broken spirit and contrite heart. That doesn't mean you're hanging your head low. That doesn't mean that you're shameful. That means that you walk boldly to the cross and to the throne room and you know whose you are. You know that you have been purchased by Christ himself. You know that you are blood bought, that the blood of Christ runs over you and makes you clean. You know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, you find yourself under the banner of Jesus. What does that banner say? It says you and I are victorious. It says you and I win in life. When I say that statement, all I do, all I can hear in the back of my, in my head is that song. All I do is win, win. Anyone else? Yeah. I wish I could play that right now, but anyway, maybe some other time. We forget in words like Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I acknowledge of God, uh, my acknowledgement of God would rather be a burnt offering. Listen, even Jesus himself gives these words to his disciples in Matthew 9 and verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinner. Jesus himself says, I don't require all of these testaments to your sacrifice. Too many of us over the last few weeks have been saying, well, I quarantine myself. I wash my hands every 20 minutes. I make sure not to touch my face. I've given to the church. I've watched those videos that that church puts up a few times. I've prayed. I've sung worship songs. God, I think I've done enough. And all that is is meaningless sacrifice. All he wants from you is to come home. All he wants from you is to come to walk into the loving arms of a Savior. All he wants from you is a relationship where you can wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Jesus. He can turn over to you and say, good morning, son. Good morning, daughter. He doesn't ask for anything more than an unashamed relationship. But when will we let the walls down? When will we take the burdens off? When will we say, Jesus Christ, I am yours? Jesus sides with the prophets in his statement in Matthew and not the law. He says that God would rather see us wholeheartedly give ourselves in relationship to him than to cut another sacrifice. Man, wash your hands. It's a good thing to do. Keep to social distancing six feet apart. Make sure you use all of the necessary protocol, but understand that's not going to save you one iota. That's not going to help you win the victory one moment on this earth. The only thing that will is giving ourselves over to Jesus wholeheartedly. Maybe some of you are thinking, but pastor, I've read it. I know it's somewhere in Hebrews. Maybe it's even, maybe it's even in Hebrews chapter 9 where it says that under the law there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And I'd have to say you need to keep reading. Read into chapter 10 and verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings I do not desire, 
but a body you prepared for me. In a burnt offering and a sin offering, you took, all, you took no delight. Then I said, here I am, and it is written about me in the scrolls, I have come to do your will. Jesus himself, talking about his father, said, you take no delight in all these sacrifices. You take no delight in all this religious work, all this religiosity. You take no delight in trying to keep to the rule book. You take no delight in crossing all the T's, dotting all the I's. What you're really after is my heart. What you're really after is connection and communion. But I think most of us fall short because we don't understand the victory that's already been won. We don't understand that we can come to him unashamed. We can come to him with all of our bumps, all of our bruises. We can come to him as imperfect beings and know that he loves us. Know that he'll accept us. Why? Because he's already won the victory over your sin. He's already won the victory over death. He's already won the victory over sickness. But his sacrifice made a way. His sacrifice made a way for us to come home. The issue is that Jesus was the payment for the whole of the world's sins. And if we believe it simply as a measure of payment, as some type of transaction that happened in heaven, then why isn't everybody saved automatically? If Jesus paved the way with his sacrifice for the sins of the world, why does, why does he need you to jump on board with the idea was his sacrifice too weak? Was his payment too small? Or maybe there's something more there that we don't understand. This is the idea where we get this goofy concept of limited atonement and it fails so often to be applied that only the elect are saved, that only the elect find their way to heaven. It's a goofy way of saying that I hope you're on board and you'll never really know, so you might as well keep your life straight. Listen, that's not at all the God that we serve. This view of an angry God says that sin must be punished. But a biblical view of God says the world must be restored. Jesus didn't come simply to punish sin. That wasn't the point. Jesus came to restore all things unto himself, to remake, to refashion the world so that it would again look like heaven. That's why in his prayer he said, my kingdom come, or your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As he was speaking of his heavenly father, that the kingdom of heaven would find itself settling here in earth, first through us and then through the known world. We have this visceral view as humans that if someone sins, there needs to be payment for sin. Man, someone wrongs us and what do we do? You better pay for that sucker. Someone hurts us bad enough, what do we say? You're going to pay, brother. I'll get you back. Payment doesn't reset the world to right. Payment doesn't restore anything. Payment doesn't, it might settle a debt, but doesn't fix what's broken. You know, you can get restoration through payment and never fix what's broken. Someone can pay you, they've done wrong in your life, they can set payment to what's been broken and they really can't fix the hurt they caused in your life. I'll give you an example. I was in a car accident when I was younger because I was stupid. Really didn't think too much about it and was driving way too fast in my, in my mother's little uh, 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 A4 Audi, driving over a hill and I bottomed out. Didn't think much of it, drove the car home, parked it. In the morning I get woken up to my dad literally throwing me down the stairs and asking me, what did you do to the car? I get out front and there's oil everywhere. There's oil all over the driveway. I tore a hole in the oil pan and just happened to limp the car home. 
He's freaking out. What'd you do? You could have blown up the engine. What'd you do? I made payment. I made restitution. It took an entire summer for me to save up enough funds and to pay them back to fix that vehicle. But you know, there's something still broken there. There's something that was broken there that only years of responsibility could fix. Of course they weren't going to trust me with their cars instantly. Of course they weren't going to give me the key to that car to go ride around and joyride in the next weekend. I had broken trust. See, too many of us think in those terms when we think about our God and his forgiving nature. We think of this idea that Jesus came to pay him off, but that we sometimes have to work ourselves back into his trust, into his little circle of trust. We forget that when Jesus sets the world to right, it's as if nothing ever happened. When Jesus forgives, he forgets you were in the car. He forgets he gave you the keys to the car. He forgets the oil stains that were on the driveway. He forgets the whining and complaining of all that was broken. In the moment Jesus forgives, it's as if it never happened because you don't have to fix everything. Everything goes back to the way it was originally intended to be. You and I need to come to a place where we understand Jesus fixes all the wrongs in this world in a moment. When we demand payment, we project our vindictive nature onto God. We project it onto him. We tell the world that God is like us, that he needs to be repaid and he'll be repaid in full. And if he's not going to get it through you, he's going to beat the hell out of his son. And then he'll finally be satisfied. Jesus didn't hang on that cross. He wasn't beaten to satisfy the vengeful wrath of a monster God. Jesus was beaten. Jesus hung on that cross to use a tool that was meant to shame him and to degrade him and to force him into subjection to the ruling powers of this world to win the victory. He didn't succumb to the cross just to appease our dad. He isn't the big brother who steps in the middle of our beating and says, no, I know you're mad, daddy. Beat me instead of them. No, no, no. Jesus finds himself on the cross to say the victory has already been won. We see this literally written on the communion wafers of many of the Orthodox churches. There's an inscription on these little wafers, these little crackers that you eat in communion. It's supposed to represent the body of Jesus There are these letters on the one side. It says, I-C-X-C. It's a Latin representation for the name Jesus. On the back side of the cracker are four letters, N-I-K-A, Nika. It's Greek for the concept of victory. In fact, in Latin, it's translated Nike, a word we're very familiar with, that when a man would run a marathon and he would win and he would cross the finish line as he's totally exhausted, having spent every ounce of energy that he had, he would cross that finish line and literally shout the words Nike or victory on our communion wafers. On many of the icons that we see around church are inscripted these letters, I-C-X-C, Nika, the idea of Jesus Christ being the victory. Yet most of us don't have a good understanding of a church history or enough concept of dogma and ideology to get the concept that every time we take that cracker, every time we take that wafer, every time we see those letters inscribed, it's to remind us that Jesus went to the cross not to subjugate himself to the will of an angry and vengeful God, but to win the victory. Today, I can stand in sure faith knowing that I'm a child of God and I can rush that throne anytime I have need. Why? Because Jesus won the victory. 
Today I know COVID-19 has nothing on me because Jesus won the victory. Today I know God's will will be done on heaven or on earth as it is in heaven because Jesus won the victory. We have to get better preaching in our pulpits. I heard a pastor last week say, well, if you die, maybe it was God's will. Shut up. Shut up, you idiot. It's not God's will that you die sick. It's not God's will that you die infirm. People do all the time. It's not God's will. Don't, don't let some moron who can't figure out the word of God lie to you. Don't let someone who doesn't even understand church history and the trajectory of history and the icons lie to you. Jesus Christ, as inscribed on the Eucharist itself, is our victory. Jesus Christ, as inscribed on shrines and churches and walls and stained glass windows and icons all over church history, is the victory. Why do we keep losing? We don't believe it. Why does our faith fail? We don't believe it. We believe an idea of a vengeful and monster God because that's what the world has thrown at us. Satan will kick your butt more with that mentality of God than anything else, where you feel that you have to grovel and whine, where you feel you have to fall prostrated on bended knee just to get to his throne. Listen, Jesus loves you. Our God is a good, good father. He loves you. He's already won the victory. When will you take it on your own? He's already won the victory. When will you say enough's enough? I'm going to win this battle because the one who fights behind me is bigger than anything in front of me. When will we understand that our elder brother stands behind us already having beaten death, hell, and the grave? He's already whooped Satan with a big old ugly stick. When are we going to get out in front of it and know that Jesus is our victory? Today, we need to understand in full faith, there's no plague going to come near me. There's no plague going to come near my dwelling. There's no plague going to come near my kids. Why? Jesus won the victory. But you got a little cough. I don't care. Jesus won. But you got a fever. I could give a rip. Jesus won. Understand the stats that I read in the news. I don't care. Jesus won the victory. When will we awaken to that fact? The great awakening is coming, I believe, in this nation and around the world. Not because churches are great. Not because we preach perfect doctrine. Not because the government finally wins the battle in some drug that clears up these issues. I believe the victory is coming as we preach this word, this heavy-handed idea that Jesus is the victory. We don't back down anymore. We don't succumb to the social pressure. We tell the world like it is, Jesus wins. You might be on the losing side right now. It doesn't matter. Jesus wins. You might not want to believe it. Jesus wins. You might say, science has disproven your Bible. Let me help you out. Jesus wins. These aren't statements blinded by faith. These are statements assured as I've studied, as I've searched the scriptures, as we've searched history, as we've been told from one generation to the next, Jesus always wins. Today, I want to encourage you. Jesus wins. Whatever fight you're facing, financial, physical, emotional, maybe you're sitting and you're just terrified of what could happen in this world, Jesus wins. Don't let depression over, overtake you. Don't let these negative thoughts grip your heart. Understand, you have the victory. I want to pray with you right where you're at, right in your own home. I want to pray with you that you understand, have a new revelation of the victory of this gospel. 
pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray, God, for everyone watching. We pray for everyone connected to this broadcast, that they would know that they have the victory in Christ Jesus. Lord, that if we will come to your son, if we'll give it all, if we'll lay it all at his feet, if we'll say, here I am, Jesus, take me, use me, that we can have the victory. So in this moment, God, we ask, we pray that we get a new revelation that we have the victory in Christ Jesus. God, today, let us shout that banner high every time we put on a pair of Nikes. Might we, maybe we can understand this, this revelation a little more, that Jesus is the victory. That Jesus is our way maker. That Jesus is the one who overcomes. That Jesus is the one who breaks down the walls. That Jesus is the one that dispels fear. That Jesus is the one who heals because he's already won the victory. So today, God, we link up with the cross. It's our victory in Christ Jesus and nothing else will satisfy. Today, God, help us live in that revelation that you are our victory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you this morning, as best I can, love on him. Love on him, man. In this moment of tension, in this moment of trial, love on him. In this moment where things don't seem to be going right, and man, again, you might feel desperate. Love on him. Tell him, God, here I am, use me. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. There are many churches out there that want to be your personal Holy Spirit. They want to give sideways prophecies. They want to tell you things that they think about your life. We're not going to do that. Listen, you can hear from the Holy Spirit. He can speak to you. He spoke to men and women just like you. He spoke to people in situations just like yours. He's speaking today to people just like you. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you can't hear the voice of God. You hear it more than you know. He saved you from going out with that friend that you knew you shouldn't have. He spoke to your heart and you got in that, you were getting in that car and you shouldn't have done it. He spoke to you in moments where you, where you knew you shouldn't have spent that money, but you did anyway. The Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. He'll continue to speak. We need to be sensitive enough to hear it. In these, in these trying times is when we need to rely on his voice the most. As a pastor, one of the best things I get to do is teach people how to hear God's voice. But one of the hardest things I get to do is let people loose to hear God's voice. Because sometimes they mess up and goof up. Sometimes they say things that are so off the wall, but there would no Jesus in that at all. And then they come back and say, oh, maybe I was wrong. That's cool. You're going you're gonna to mess up sometimes. You're going to goof up in hearing the Holy Spirit. It's okay. Stay on track. Ask him every day. Have that personal conversation. Every morning you wake up, Good morning, Jesus. He's going to speak back to you. Good morning, son. Good morning, daughter, if you'll let him. But we've got to get back to this personal relationship with Christ. It's what matters more than anything. Why? Because in those moments, we find safety and security. In those moments is where we know that the God of heaven is on our side. I know I use flowery language when I talk about it that we serve a God who carved the borders of the oceans with his fingers, that we serve a God who flung the stars in their sockets. I understand that I use flowery language, but the reason I do is I hope you get a grand, awe-inspired moment where you look up and wonder and just say, God, you are so big. God, you are so great. God, you are so much bigger than my problems. You are so much bigger than my issues. 
I want to encourage you, rewind this when it's over. Get into that worship set. Listen to those songs. Praise him. Get your headphones on. Get that phone going. Get that tablet going. And praise him with everything you have. Because as you get in front of his throne with praise and worship, the cares of the world seem to fall off. We love you. We're there for you. We want to be there for you. We hope you understand that everything that we do here is to honor Jesus above all. Nothing else matters. Everything in this life is going to burn someday. This building we're in today, the house you're in today, the finances that feel like they're security, it's all gone in a matter of moments when Jesus comes back. So why shouldn't we just put those things aside and say, God, you are my all in all. And guess what? He'll reward you with more than you could ever imagine. When we put heaven first, the Bible literally says, put his kingdom first and everything else will be added unto us. But we've got to put his kingdom first. Amen? We love you. We're so thankful for you joining us today. We hope you got a lot out of this. In a moment, I'm sorry, just before the service kicked off, um, there was an announcement that went out through social media where you can connect with your kids' resources for today. You can go to graceqc.com kids and you can download the kids' resources for today. You can download their lessons, their lesson plan. Mom and dad, this is a great opportunity for you to learn a little bit about the Bible and for you to teach it to your children. There's never a better way to understand a concept than teaching it to someone else. We'll give you all the tools right there on that webpage to connect with your kid and to teach them the truth of scripture. We need to get back to this. Man, maybe take a moment just before dinner, sit down with the family, watch the video, go through the activities. Maybe take a moment this afternoon, take a moment and slow life down, watch the videos, go through the activities. Mom and dad, you can do it. And if you don't have all the answers, it's all right. There's a number there on that screen when you go to that webpage, that you can text us or call us and we'll answer any questions that they might have. If you don't, if you don't know an answer to a question, just say, I don't know, and move on and go on with the lesson. But we want to encourage you parents, wherever you're at in your walk with Christ, use those resources. As Lori said, we're going to have some opportunities this week to connect with you live through social media. Make sure you connect with us. We want to stay pouring into your life. Amen? Amen. We'll see you again next week.